family of God, I, I, I am overjoyed. It, it, to know how the Holy Spirit is weaving this tapestry together in these common threads, I shouldn't be amazed, but I am amazed. Uh, I consider this a, a, a part B to the last hour. Uh, because as, as you're going to see in just a, a few minutes, the words that were given by Anna and Howard are exactly one of the things that the Lord was laying on my heart at the end of this short homily uh, for us to lean into and pray into. Um, but the Lord is up to something. Amen. The Lord is up to something. So several years ago, we spent Thanksgiving in Boston, is that pretty good? Boston? I don't have a good accent. While we were there, we went to the Boston Tea Party Museum, of course. And as part of the tour, we boarded this big old 18th century ship, this big wooden ship. Patriots in costume and character, stirring up the emotions of all of us museum goers against those unfair British tyrants. And after working us up into a frenzy, everyone grabbed a box of tea, and we hurled the tea overboard, yelling, Huzzah! That got me thinking about <laughs> cultural narratives. These major stories that shape the imagination of whole people groups. And one of the narratives in our country happens to be this idea that we fight for ourselves. Yeah. No one looks out for us. We need to look out for us because other people don't care. We can't trust other people to fight for us, and so we take matters into our own hands. But tonight we're going to look at another story that shaped the narrative of a different people. And for Israel, the crossing of the Red Sea was this kind of story that shaped their imagination and their identity because they saw that it's in God's very nature to rescue the oppressed and the helpless and the enslaved. Try to put yourself in the position of the Hebrews. Imagine you've been in slavery for your whole life and that's all you know, under the power of an oppressor who controls you. But then God in his power delivers you in that wonderful night of the Passover and and Pharaoh says, fine, get out of here. And you start moving out to this land that the Lord is delivering you to. And you have this feeling of, of elation and wonder and excitement. But then you look back, and there they are again. The oppressor. You look ahead, and there's water in front. You look behind, and the enemy is encroaching on you and you're stuck. Your heart sinks, and you have that here-we-go-again feeling. You knew it was too good to be true. But then Moses makes this bold proclamation, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. 
And how does he win? With water. So you know the story. The water splits. The the people walk through. And we had this brilliant representation of that during the lessons this afternoon. Then the Egyptians go in after them, and God brings confusion, and he makes the wheels of their chariots stick. And notice the, the cry of the enemy in verse 25. You'll hear that phrase again. The enemies, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord fights for them. Then the water goes back over them, drowning every last one. God saved them from the power that enslaved them. And there's one more deal that, detail that sometimes we look over because it just seems kind of odd. And it's in verse 30, when the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. There's something here about the finality of these drowned Egyptian soldiers that, that stands for the old life in slavery that's now gone forever. It's a, a really concrete, tangible sign for them of salvation and new life. See, the crossing of the Red Sea was a really decisive moment for the Israelites. It was then that they knew that they had passed from death into new life. For them, the powers of darkness had been defeated, and salvation was now sure for them. The same water that destroyed one people actually saved another. Water meant death for those who brought about slavery, but it meant life for those who were enslaved. The enemy is judged, but God's people are cleansed and rescued. If you're tracking with this, you can see why the writers of the New Testament and the early church fathers really loved this passage, because it foreshadows Christian baptism as symbolizing both death and life. You've heard those words here in the last hour, hour and a half, over and over again. You see, we're a lot like the Hebrews, where they were enslaved by Egypt, this power over them, we're enslaved by the power of sin. It, it's not just, sin isn't just bad things we do. It is a power over us. And it rules us. And, and we try to run, and we run, but eventually it, it chases us down, and it keeps happening over and over again. We're stuck. And like the, the Israelites, our heart sinks. There's no way out. We look in front, and there's water. We look behind, and the enemy is pursuing. But God says... I will fight for you. We heard this last night in Father Brett's sermon, this God who fights for us. It was in the song we sang. How does he win? Again, with water. This time, the waters of baptism. I love how St. Augustine puts this. All our past sins, you see, which have been pressing on us, as it were, from behind, he has drowned and obliterated in baptism. These dark things of ours were being ridden by unclean spirits as their mounts, and like horsemen, they were riding them wherever they liked. That's why Paul the Apostle calls them the rulers of this darkness. 
We've been rid of all this through baptism as through the Red Sea. So in baptism, we receive God's deliverance in our bodies because this is how we're united with the Deliverer, Jesus, in His death and resurrection. This is what Paul says in, the, in chapter 6 of Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Exodus, notice what God said after promising to fight Here's where we're getting into the words that were just delivered. You have only to be silent. In baptism, we're also passive participants. There's an important caveat that we're going to come back to in just a little bit on that one. But we come to the waters as slaves. But through faith in Jesus, we are acted upon. God acts upon us and rescues us and brings us new life. God fights for you, and he wins with water. Some of you have a hard time believing that God fights for you. In this group, the first group among them is the group of people who feel like you have to fight for yourself. Whether it's you buying into the cultural narrative of no one fights for us, so we have to fight for ourselves, or whether it's your own past experience where no one stuck up for you, and so you grew up with just this fighter mentality, I can identify with that. I always felt like I had to prove myself, and I had to perform, and I had to do these things in order to be acceptable to God and to other people. But the message to you in this is the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent because he's the one who delivers. There's another group, though, I think, that you've tried fighting for yourself and you've just realized that it doesn't work. So now you just lay there and accept slavery. You think that's the only option. And I have this image come to my mind of a, a, a really famous research study that was done in the 1970s. And so these researchers took a bunch of dogs, and the first group of dogs, they put shock collars on them, and they shocked the dogs, but if they pressed a lever, the shocking would stop. The second group of dogs, they put the same shock collars on them, but when the dogs pressed the lever, it didn't do anything. And so the shocks kept going such that eventually, they realized that it was inescapable. There's nothing that they could do to make the shocks go away. That wasn't the interesting part, though. The interesting part is what happened next when they would take each dog one by one and they put them in this box that had two compartments. And the compartments were divided by a really uh, shallow wall between the two. The first side was the side of the shocking. They were going to shock them again. 
I know, animal lovers, I'm sorry, but they didn't hurt the dogs long-term. They shocked them, and then the second side was the rescue side. All the dogs needed to do to be rescued from the shock is jump over this short wall. So the first group of dogs who could stop the shocking originally with the lever, they figured out really fast that they could jump over this short wall to be saved. But you know the second group of dogs, almost all of them, when they experienced the shock side, just curled up and they laid on the ground and they whimpered. All they had to do was leap over the short wall to the other side, but they had learned that their efforts were futile. There's nothing they could do, and they accepted that as a fact. The rescue was there. They just had to walk across, but they were bound by their past experiences and patterns and believed the lie that there was no way out. Some of us have been released from slavery and bondage, but we haven't jumped across the side. We've been baptized, but we're not walking in freedom. And so we're coming back to the caveat that I mentioned earlier in verse 15. So right after the Lord makes this proclamation, I will fight for you. You have only to be silent. What does he come back and say right after that? He says, through Moses, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Last year, Bishop Stewart, in preaching a sermon on baptism, made this statement, God does everything, but we do something. So for some of us, we've got the passive part down. We're just laying there, and we think we're victims, and there's no way we'll ever overcome the powers of darkness. God's message to you would be move forward, to get up and cross. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing. And some of you, in the spirit of Exodus 15, 1, this song, you're like, yes, I'm ready to sing. But some, those who are maybe have this pattern of fighting for yourself because no one is going to fight for you, what you need to do is rest in the you only need to be silent part. Let the Lord fight for you. But others who have resigned yourself to a life of slavery to sin, you need encouragement to get up and cross and go forward. So when we're singing, some of you might need to get up and go to that font back here. Some of you may need to come over to the side and have someone pray for you and use holy water in their prayers for you because you need to be reminded in a really tangible way of your baptism. Because everything you need for freedom from slavery is ministered to you there and claim that promise of purification and deliverance from the enemy that is yours and not lay down and think you're a passive victim or not think I have to fight for myself and get this myself. God fights for you, and he wins with water. Amen.